Hello, I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 25, starting at verse 19. Genesis 25, 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. <clears throat> the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In, uh, in 2010, a man in Las Vegas, Nevada, decided to have a yard sale. I guess he you know, wanted to get rid of some uh, junk that was cluttering up his home. So he had a yard sale. And among the things he sold that day was a, 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 an old box of, of drawings and papers and just stuff. And, and, and someone said they would give him $5 for the box, which he was, you know, he was happy to be rid of it. Until he later found out that in that box was an Andy Warhol original sketch valued at an estimated $2 million. He sold a $2 million sketch for five bucks. In, uh, in 1962, a group of young musicians auditioned for a record company in London, and uh, they were immediately rejected. In fact, uh, the, the record company executive reportedly wrote a note to the group's manager saying, guitar groups are on their way out. So, the Beatles signed with someone else. In, uh, in 1984, in the NBA draft, draft the uh, Portland Trailblazers had the chance to select a shooting guard out of North Carolina, who everyone said he was probably a good player, but, you know, they already had a decent guard, so they decided to go another direction. And they passed up the opportunity to have the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, on their team.
Now, th th these are just a few examples of times when people, when people had something of great value in their grasp and they overlooked it or they, they discarded it. Time, times when people made decisions that, oh, certainly they later wished that they could undo. But none of these stories of loss compares in magnitude with the story of loss that is described in today's passage, this passage about Esau. Esau, uh, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, Esau traded something of immeasurable value for a bowl of lentil soup. Now, to uh, break down this story, I just want to div divide my remarks into three parts. First, I want to talk about what Esau did. Then I want to talk about uh, why Esau did this, possible reasons why he made this choice. So what Esau did, why he did it. And then thirdly, uh, two lessons that I think we, we can learn from this story, two takeaways for us. So uh, we'll, we'll start with what, what Esau did. Now, Esau was the older of two sons, Esau and Jacob. We, you heard about their birth. Esau was the older of two sons that were born to Isaac and Rebekah. And as the oldest son in that family, in their culture, Esau was entitled to receive the birthright. Now, receiving the birthright meant that when his father passed away someday, Esau would inherit the father's position of leadership and authority in that family. He, he would be the one to receive this, this exalted status as family leader in, in his clan. Now, he, he might also receive a larger portion of the inheritance than, than, than his brother did, but more, more than anything, to receive the, the birthright right, meant that Esau would receive, he would receive something very, very valuable but intangible. He would receive honor and authority and dignity and favor. Now we heard here that Esau liked to go hunting. Verse 27 calls him a man of the open country. Today we would refer to him as an outdoorsman, right? And one day um, Esau came home from a hunting trip. It seems that it was not a very successful hunting trip. And he was really, really hungry. His younger brother, Jacob, uh, was uh, cooking a pot of red lentil soup, and apparently the soup smelled really, really good. So verse, verse 30 says, um, it says, Esau said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. I am famished. Well, Jacob looked at his brother, and he said, let's make a trade. You want my soup? We'll make a trade. You give me your birthright, I'll give you my soup. Now, there, there is no way in the world that that is a fair trade. Uh, the, the, the birthright was this great, great honor and privilege that would last your entire lifetime. And then, and then when you die, you know, you pass it on to your son. And when he dies, he passes it on to his, his son. It's just on and on for generations. So listen, to have the birthright, it, it, it was something that you would possess and it would be in your lineage forever, for generations to come. A bowl of soup takes what? Five minutes to eat, right? And then you're going to be hungry again in three hours. It's not going to last very long at all. So th this was not a fair trade, something that would last for generations, 
to something that would be over with and done. That's not a fair trade. Amazingly, and I, and I wonder if Jacob was even surprised by this. Amazingly, Esau says, my birthright for your soup, you got a deal. You've got a deal. Uh, middle of verse 33, it says, uh, he swore an oath to Jacob, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then verse 34 says, then Jacob gave Esau some bread. Nice of him to throw the bread in, right? Some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. Now, the thing for us to understand in order to grasp what's going on here is that this, this would have been considered a legitimate, valid transaction. All right, in, in, in their culture, to swear an oath, it was an act of binding consequence. It was as, as binding as signing a, a contract today and having it notarized. This, this was not something you could take back. Esau, he traded away his birthright, and he could never get it back again. Hebrews 12, verse 17 says, Afterward, when Esau wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. He, tr he traded away this, this birthright of lasting value, and he could never get it back. Now, the, the name Esau uh, in Hebrew means hairy. Uh, that, that's why they called him that. You read about, even from birth, he had lots and lots of body hair. So that was his name, Harry, Esau. But did you notice, after, after people heard of the choice that Esau made, he, he got a new nickname. They began to call him Edom, and Edom means red. It's, it, I wonder if this is just a way of mocking him. He, they, they all knew that he had traded his birthright for a bowl of red soup? Are you kidding? And so for the rest of his life, every time they saw him, they called him, Hey, Red, how you doing, Red? How's the red soup? Red, they made fun of him. But they made fun of him. He, he traded, in other words, he traded the honor of the birthright for the dishonor of this uh, horrible nickname. Now, that's not nice, all right? And the, and the Bible is not saying that it was fair for him to be treated that way. But it is telling us that that's what's happened. He... He traded the honor of the birthright for the dishonor of this lousy name, Edom. And, and not only that, not only was Esau branded for the rest of his life with this, this derisive name, but for centuries to come, the descendants of Esau, for centuries, they were known as the Edomites, the red people. So this one foolish, tragic decision done in 30 seconds. It defined Esau for the rest of his life, and it became part of his family's story for generations to come. When I was in college, I, I met a, another student, a kid who uh, I asked him a little bit about his family, and he told me that his father had once been a pastor, but was no longer a pastor, um, because he had had an extramarital affair. And... Um, from the way that, that this kid told me the story, I, I could tell that he still really loved his father, and I got the sense that his father still really loved the Lord, but he was out of the ministry now. And, and that one bad decision had become not just part of that man's story, it had become part of his son's story, it had become, it had become part, of, part of his family's story. I guess it would be part of the story for generations. And that's what happened with Esau. He, tra he traded something of lasting value. 
for really just a few minutes of uh, temporary pleasure. Now, second thought, why, why did Esau do this? And you know, that's a, that's a question, why? A, a lot of people w- will ask this of themselves. Have you ever asked that? I, I, we all, I think we all have. Why, why did I do that? Why was I thinking? Why? So someone might say, why, why did I lose my temper and say those angry things that I said to my son? I, I can never take those words back. He will always remember that man. I, and I love him so much. Why did I do that? Or, or someone says, why did, why did I make that purchase again? I'm already, you know, up to my ears in debt, and I, I don't need another pair of shoes. Why did I do that? Or wh- why did I turn down that scholarship to go study overseas? I mean, that, that, that might have changed my entire life. Why was I so afraid to, to, I would lose that boyfriend? He turned out to be a jerk anyway. Why, why am I always just so afraid to step out on faith and try something new? Or someone else says, why, why did I say yes again to another request to help with somebody's project? I mean, I'm already overcommitted. Why, why am I so afraid to disappoint anyone and say no? What? Why? So this is a question. We, we've all been there. We've all, we've all made stupid decisions, and we ask ourselves, why did I do that? Well, it's hard to know why, and, and we're not sure. With Esau, we're not sure why he did what he did. But there are a couple of details in this narrative that I think suggest um, possible reasons why he made them, possible factors that might have influenced him to make this bad choice. I'll point out for you here, there's there's an external influence that I think um, played a role in this decision, and there's an internal influence. So first, uh, the the external influence, um, verse 27 and 28, tells us a little bit about the family that Esau grew up in. It says that the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob, his, his younger twin brother, was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, that's the father, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Did, did you catch that? Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved his son Esau, the hunter. And I, I can just imagine from the time he was a little boy... Esau, again and again and again, he received affirmation from his father every time he came home from hunting and he brought his dad some food. You know, Esau, maybe he would go out and he would hunt a rabbit or trap a quail or, you know, kill a deer or whatever. He would bring this animal home and the father would look at it and say, oh, that's a nice one, Esau, that's a nice one. And they would prepare the meat and roast it on the fire. And and, and, and I just imagine Isaac, as the, as the food is preparing, he'd put his arm around his son. He'd say, oh, Esau, you're a good boy. You're a good boy. Esau, you made daddy proud today. And Esau, can you smell that meat? Doesn't it smell good? Esau, did I ever tell you, there's nothing better than a good meal. Esau, there's nothing better than a good meal. I I wonder how many times Esau, growing up, heard a message something like that from his father. There's nothing better than a good meal. Now, the the reason I wonder about that is, um, guys, when we hear messages, even subtle messages... When we hear messages again and again and again and again, either from people in our life or from the culture that we live in, 
little by little, those messages, without us realizing, they, they can begin to shape our values. They begin to change the way that we think. Until, you know, without realizing, one, one day, like, like Esau, we, we make a tragic decision in life based on these warped messages that we've been hearing. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. One guy paraphrased that. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But it says, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, that, that's saying if you want to know God's will, if you want to make wise decisions, not stupid decisions in life, you've got to be very careful not, not to be shaped, even unconsciously, by the false messages that you're hearing from the world that you live in. And, and guys, listen, we, you know this. We live in a culture that assaults us with false messages again and again and again. Here's, here's, here's a common one. Every time, every time you turn on the TV, every time you open a magazine, every time you look through Facebook and there's some advertisement there, this is a false message we hear thousands of times every week. It's this. You are what you own. You are what you own. The more stuff you possess, the happier you will be. Oh, that is a, listen, that's a lie. It's not true. An, another another um, false message from our, our um, sex-crazed culture is this. If you're not sexually fulfilled, you are not really living. If you're, if you're not fulfilled sexually, you know, your life isn't, isn't worth living. You know what? That's a lie. That's not true. It's, it's not true at all. Here, here's another lie that you might have, have heard either growing up or from, from, from other, other sources. Um, if people like you, you are a good person. It's important to be liked, important to be loved. If people like you, you're a good person. Oh, man, if you, if you start to believe that, it will absolutely ruin your life. In fact, Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. The, it, the goal in life is not to be popular. One more uh, message, and as, as I tell you this, this is a common one we hear again and again and again in our culture. As I say this, I want you to think, how many places in the Bible can you think of where we are told that this is patently untrue? In fact, that this, this message is contrary to the truth of the kingdom of God. And the message is this. Successful people are more important than average people successful people are more important than average people. The, the, the starting lineup on the team is more important than the guys that sit on the bench. The, you know, the A student is more important than the C student. Listen, that is a lie. That's a, that is a lie. So we live in a world where we're just being bombarded in, in subtle ways again and again, maybe from our family, maybe from our friends, maybe from the broader culture with false messages. And, and, uh, and we struggle with this. And it seems like Esau had to struggle with this too. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. So, so there's this external influence, this, this, this voice from outside of himself that I think probably played a role. Um, you know, if Esau's his whole life been told there's nothing more important than a good meal, you know, of course he traded his birthright for a good meal. 
So there's an external influence. Se secondly, there, there was an in internal influence. And by that, what I mean is Esau was hungry. I mean, he was really, really hungry. His, his inner appetite, his inner desire clouded his thinking and led him to do something very, very foolish. And would you agree that that can happen to us? Why? Because you know what? We all, we all have physical appetites. We all have sexual desires. We all have concerns for safety. We all, we all have the, the, the enjoyment of comfort. We all have emotional needs. We all, we all have instincts towards self-preservation. And listen, these, these feelings, these inner impulses, they're not necessarily bad until they get out of control. And when, they, when these inner drives are out of control, they can ruin us. We end up trading a birthright for a bowl of soup. This is why you'll find things like this in the Bible. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. There are desires within us that, that wage war against our very souls. Romans 8 verse 13 says, If you live according to the flesh, in other words, if every decision is made according to you know, the impulses of your, your physical, sinful nature, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It will kill you. It says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So um, in this story, we, you read the story and, you, and you're scratching your head. You know, why in the world would Esau do something so stupid, trade his birthright for a bowl, bowl of soup? Well, the answer is he prayed. He probably did it for the same reason that we make stupid decisions. There's this external influence of his world, and you know, giving him him a false value system, and the internal influence of his flesh, um, causing him to make an unwise choice. So that's a hint, I think, into why Esau did this. Now, quickly in closing, two two lessons that we can learn from this, and we should learn from this. Romans 15 verse 4 says. Everything that was written, it's talking about what is written in the Old Testament. Everything that it was written in the past was written to teach us. This is not just an interesting story. We are intended to learn something from this. So what can we learn? Two, two takeaways from this story. First, I would just suggest that this story is intended to warn us. We ought to, we ought to be hearing a warning here. In fact, Hebrews 12, verse 16, it, it, it points specifically to this story and it warns Christians. It says, it says, see to it, Hebrews 12, 16, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. See to it, it says. See to it that what happened to Esau doesn't happen to you. Now, as I hope you know, the gospel, the good news about Christ, tells us that through faith in Christ, there is, we are given forgiveness of our sins. And that is a wonderful thing. But, but we need to remember that uh, receiving forgiveness for our sins doesn't necessarily mean that we won't have to deal with the consequences of our sins in, in this lifetime. Like, let's say, if I, if I rob a bank, all right, and as I'm fleeing the scene of my crime, I, you know, I crash the getaway car and I break my leg and then the police swoop in and they arrest me. You know, if, if I do that, I can 
repent of the sin of bank robbery. I can ask God, please forgive me for doing that. And you know what? God will forgive me. But my leg will still be broken and I'm still going to go to jail. In other words, forgiveness of sin, it doesn't always remove the consequences in this lifetime of, of our sin. Now, now the gospel, the, the, the good news in Christ assures us that even if we fall into the most grievous kind of sin, as, as believers, we will not lose God's love for us. He won't stop loving you. What does it say in Romans 8? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. All right? So uh, if we fall into some grievous sin, we won't lose God's love for us. But there are some important things that we still might lose. We might lose our good name or reputation. We might lose our health or, you know, our peace of mind. We, we might lose our marriage or our family or our friendships. We might lose opportunities to, to serve the Lord. People lose things like this, and, and sometimes they can never get them back. So um, this passage is intended to warn us, to warn us. And I want you to know the reason God warns us is not because he's just trying to be mean. No. Guys, when God warns us, he does this because he really, really loves us. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to see us um, making really regrettable decisions in our life. So there, there's a warning here. But I, I would also say this. I, I think we should, we, we should take warning from this passage. Secondly, I think we should take some hope from this passage. And now... You say, I, I don't see anything hopeful about this passage. I mean, it ends with Esau losing everything. We just, what is hopeful about this? Well, um, the story of Esau is a story of an elder brother who gave up his birthright. And if you read on in the Bible, I mean, you got to really read on way toward the end, all right? If you read on in the Bible, you will find another story of an elder brother who also gave up his birthright. Only, unlike Esau, this other elder brother, he, he didn't give up his birthright for selfish reasons. He gave up his birthright motivated by nothing but love. And, and, and unlike Esau, this other elder brother, he didn't, he didn't give up his birthright impulsively or recklessly. No, he did this deliberately. He chose to do this. This, this other elder brother is my elder brother, your elder brother, believer, our elder brother, Jesus. Jesus, as the eternal son of the living God, all right, had the right to all the glory of heaven, and he gave up that birthright, not to eat a bowl of soup, but to drink the cup of the wrath of God, not to eat a bowl of soup, but to die on the cross, and he did, you know why he did this? to take away our shame, the shame we have from the bad decisions we've made, and to share the glory of his birthright with us. In, in, the, in the Bible, you know, in Bible times, this, this whole thing of the, the, the birthright, the rights of the firstborn, the rights of the firstborn in, in, in biblical families, it could only be given to one child. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't have three firstborns. It was only given to one child. But when you get to the, the end of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, it's, it's talking about what, what we will receive for the rest of eternity through faith in Jesus Christ. It says that one of the things that we will come to is it says, we come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. The church of the firstborn whose names, plural, are written in heaven. In other words, <laughs> 
in the church, we are all considered God's firstborn child. Each Through Jesus, each one of us is the firstborn. Each one of us is, is given the birthright. Listen, even if we have made some really bad decisions, and perhaps you have, even if, if we feel some deep regret or even shame over that, this is the good news. Our elder brother, he gives up his birthright to take away our shame and share his glory with us. So I hope this will encourage you. You you know, we've all, listen, you get to a certain age, (laughs) nobody can look at their life and say they've never made mistakes. We've all all made some bad choices, some of them really bad, and and, uh, and sometimes there are consequences. But believer in Christ, those, those consequences, they are, they're just for this lifetime. God still loves us. He's still with us. The consequences of sin are just for this lifetime, but the glory that Jesus gives to us, the birthright he shares with us, it's forever. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this ancient story of this man Esau. He's, for uh, me, I think for many of us, he's so easy to relate to. We often make just foolish choices. And so I pray, Father, that we will be warned by this story, that your Holy Spirit will, will use it to just shake us awake and open our eyes so that we will, we will seek to live not according to the, the appetites of our, our flesh or the dictates of our culture, but we will live in step with your word and your kingdom and make wise decisions. I pray you'd help us with that. But I pray for, for those of us who, who are perhaps feeling some shame of bad decisions that you would remind us of, of the elder brother much better than Esau, our, our, our elder brother Jesus, who gave up the glory of heaven to share his glory with us, to take our shame, and, and that that would deeply, deeply comfort us. And I pray this in his precious name. Amen.